0: Uh, the other thing, because there's a, a good amount of new faces here today, and because usually most of our, our normal faces are, are gone either on vacation, a lot of our students are gone, I want to remind you guys of something we've been doing throughout this Advent series, and it's somewhat of a take on what you do during Easter. And so during Easter, you'll often have the pastor come up, usually at the very beginning of the sermon, and he starts off by saying, He is risen. And the church says, He's risen indeed, okay? So um, we started a new one here at Redemption Flagstaff for Advent that actually celebrates the Advent season in the same type of I say something, you say something type of thing. And so what we do is you say, he has come, and then does anyone remember what we reply with? He He is coming again. Right? And so the reason why I'm trying to get us all on this same page is there's going to be a handful of times throughout the sermon today where I'm going to drop a he has come and I'm going to want to hear he is coming again. Okay? And so let's practice once on the front. So he has come. He is coming again. Amen. He's coming again. And that is why we worship and celebrate because we are in eager anticipation and expectation of our coming Lord. And so let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Ask him to bless us today as we seek to learn from him. God, we, uh, we love you. We want to love you more. God, we live in a broken mess of a world. God, that sometimes our lives are broken and messy. And in the midst of that, you have come. And Lord, we now live in this beautiful in-between of when you've come to establish your kingdom here on earth, but Lord, we also know it is not finished that, Lord, we long for the day when we will rejoice with you forever and eternity in the new heavens and the new earth and the new kingdom of God in its fullness. So, Lord, would you teach us now in the in-between what does it mean to be a faithful people, both to you and to the gospel story. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last night, Finley, who's my four-and-a-half-year-old, um, I often talk about him here, but last night he's going to sleep. And, and usually, so I'll do books and songs, and we'll read to him and pray with him and stuff like that. Uh, and then Verity will take him into his bedroom, and he always likes cuddling up with Verity. He doesn't like cuddling with me. He says, I'm uncomfortable. Uh, and, and sometimes it's because he has a twin-size and he doesn't have a ton of room, right? And so we, we, uh, my wife and I squeeze in there, sorry, not, nope, just Verity and my son Finley squeeze into the bed together. And last night, he says towards his last words, he's dozing off, and he says, Mommy. And Verity says, yes, baby. Says, Only three more sleeps till Christmas, right? <laughs> Only three more sleeps till Christmas. And then he's out like a light. Like That was the last thing on his mind was three more sleeps till Christmas so that he could get up. Get out his Bible and rejoice in that his Savior has returned, right? Just so he can run down and he can light the Advent wreath and just say, pray. No, it's so that he can open up and tear open some presents, right? Now, now here's, here's why I share this. Like, There is this eager hope and anticipation from my son for Christmas morning. And it's based on these presents and I think the moment and just everything that is coming along. But what it's really based on, I think, underneath it all, is this real desire and need that he experiences for what will happen on that day. Like he, he has this want, like he has this vision. He starts thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to do this and this is, I'm going to get this. And he put it down a list and, and wrote down all of these things that he wants for Christmas, right? Because these wants and desires drive him, and so then what is behind his hope for Christmas Day is his desire, and what he would deem is his need, and so his need, one of the things is a stormtrooper gun, okay, so he's gotten very into Star Wars recently, and I'm not even sure how it happened, it's just like the Holy Spirit was like, greatest movie series of all time, you should know this, And so Finley longs for this stormtrooper gun. It's the one that spins and lasers and all this kind of stuff. And so his hope and anticipation is that this will happen. But hear me, that need was crafted for him. Like he didn't know that was something he wanted until someone showed it to him and said, hey, you should want this, right? Like he didn't, he didn't just dream up this item. He he saw he saw it and it was sold to him, and so now he wants it. Now the reason why I tell all of this story is because you and I have been sold a story about why we should be hopeful during Christmas, and and I believe that at times in the church we fall for a far less exciting and beautiful and robust and biblical story than the one we should. And so what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this four-week Advent series is the last of the four names attributed to Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And so for the last few weeks, we've covered Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. And today, we go to Prince of Peace. But peace is only beautiful if we know the other end of it. And we're going to talk about this more, but I fear that sometimes, especially here in the Western church, peace is just assumed. Or rather, I think maybe we're ignorant to the reality of war. That that maybe we're ignorant to what's really happening around us. And so the hope and anticipation and desire for the Lord and Savior Jesus to have come and to be coming again falls flat on us. And so my hope in today's message is to really convey for us a longing for Jesus. Because there's no possible better thing for our souls than to want and have Jesus more. No greater morality, no you being more obedient. Like, it's all about you loving Jesus and then seeing what happens on the tail end of that. And so um, over the last few weeks, like I said, we covered the first three names. And when we start thinking about Prince of Peace, like you start thinking through peace and what does this look like? And if we really step into what did peace mean for the average Old Testament Jew, I'm going to tell you it's far more robust than our vision for peace. When we think of peace, I think it's just somewhat minute, like nothing terrible happened today. It was a peaceful day. Or, or maybe we're not technically at war. None of us are going off to war unless there are some in the room that are part of the armed services. And, and if you are, thank you for your service. But that's what we think of peace. But the peace of the Bible, this idea of shalom, when they hear he is the prince of shalom, mean, he is ushering in a holistic and complete restoration of all things in the world. That it wasn't just the absence of conflict, it was rather the movement into something that the world was intentionally supposed to be from the beginning, perfect, that each and every level of brokenness and fracture in this world would be fixed. That's the shalom that they hope for. And it's the shalom that we'll talk about this morning. And so let's go through Isaiah and a few other texts because here, if you're Israel and you're hearing from God right now that there is one who is coming who will reestablish shalom in the world, this is incredible and amazing news for the Jew because at this time, as we've said over the last few weeks, for the people of God in Israel, right now they have impending war on their front door. Isaiah has just told them that both Assyria and a nation called Babylon will come and will take them over and will destroy them. And so they're hearing all of this bad news because of the calamity that will befall them, that there is distance between them and God, that all around them there is fracture and brokenness. And so they hear in Isaiah 9 that there will be this king who will come and a government shall rest upon his shoulders that will be based on peace and justice and righteousness good and amazing news see the people of israel knew they were at war and so the promise of a coming king who would bring peace meant significantly more than maybe to us so let's look at a few other texts isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 says this it says he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so this promise from Isaiah to the people of God, there is coming a day when the Messiah will show up and he will be the king. And guess what? Nation will no longer fight against nation. That you know the nations that I've just told you are coming and will destroy you and take you. There's coming a day where that will no longer be true. Now now hear me, like, like... It's hard for us to process that, right? But imagine you're in Israel and you've just been told you're about to be displaced from your home. You and your family are about to be dragged out of your home and brought to a land that is not your own. Like Try and think of the screams and the anguish as you see everything that you built, everything that you know taken and torn from you in a moment's instance. And this is the future that is laying for Israel And God comes in and says, but it will not always be this way. There's a king coming in peaceful reign. And I love the last line of this little prophecy. It says that they will no longer learn war. What a beautiful promise. When we begin to think through the realities of the lives of the Jew, that they knew throughout their history that war and death had kind of been part of it over and over and over again. And so they're saying, no, 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 there's a day where you won't even learn war. like You won't even know war. It's not something that kids will grow up into. like We have two little boys, and the fear is is that as you look across even our landscape and world right now, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, is that, man, they're going to know war. They're going to know death and carnage and pain and all that exists in our world. There's a day, Israel, that that won't be true. Another one, Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And one of the more famous texts in Isaiah, and the imagery is just beautiful, right? The, the, the wolf and the lamb lie down together, that, that little kids would go and just party with cobras, right? Like, and if you're not a parent, you probably already know, not a great idea, Right? Like like you don't allow a kid to do it. Why? Because it will strike the kid. There will be problems with that. This prophecy again to Israel to hear, hey, you know how the powerful continues to rule you. How the powerful oppress the powerless. How the high and, and mighty seem to tear down the low and poor. There's a day where there will be a king who will reign. Well, that will no longer be true. We're instead of the powerless taking advantage of the powerless. No, the, the powerful, rather, that they will embrace the powerless and the two will join together as one. There's a day coming, Israel, in your immediate future that this will not be where you guys always are, that God will deliver something greater. What hope for this land? Isaiah 42:4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till so he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlines wait for his law. That this Messiah will not stop. He will pursue and pursue and pursue until justice exists in all the earth. That things will be made right again. That things will be made as they were supposed to be again. Again, the hope for a people at war. Another one, Isaiah 49.7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One. To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. There's going to come a day where the Messiah will show up and although he will be despised and scorned and hated by the rulers and powers and kings and authorities, one day they'll all bow down to him that there is no king that rules over him. There is no power that is greater than his. And so Israel, take faith and take hope because there is one who is coming and he is your God. And he will establish a reign forever that is filled with justice, goodness, righteousness, and above all, peace. Again, now, great news for Israel, right? Like, that they would hear this and say, okay, Isaiah, man, there's been some real morbid times and a lot of the stuff you've said, but you keep interjecting with that God will be faithful to us. And so, okay, we're going to believe it. We're going to buy into it that there's coming a day where the Messiah will come and he will rule and peace will reign in all the earth. That is phenomenally good news for the people of Israel. Now... Um, Again, I think it's tough for us to get how amazing this would have been for them. Because, see, Israel, again, they, they knew they were at war. They knew the war that waged between them and surrounding nations. They knew the war that waged within their own nation. If you know the story of Israel, there's significant trial and battle between the 12 tribes themselves. They knew that there was battle within families. They knew that there was war to be fought between them and God even because there was distance and chasm created that could only be remedied once a year through the sacrifice that was given on the Day of Atonement. You see, they knew they're at war. So when they began to hear this this news of peace, man, how good of news was it for them? So they knew they're at war, but I just wonder if we do. Like, I, I, truly, I wonder if in 2018 in Flagstaff, Arizona, in the United States of America, where, for, hear me, for most of us in the room, and this is not everyone's story, and that's part of the problem, but it, that peace just seems to come easy. But I just wonder, what is that peace based off of? Like, is, is our peace that maybe we have entering this season, is it based on ignorance Or is it based on Jesus? Because those are the opposites in this story. You can either have a peace that's based on ignorance in this world that says, ah, it's it's not the big deal, or you just don't know. Or you can have a peace that's based on Christ that is lasting forever as we see in Isaiah chapter 9. And so here's what I want to contend for us this morning. Um, I want to contend that there are five different wars that are being waged in every single person's life in this room right now. That right now, if you think you're at peace, you're not. And that right now, there's five different wars being waged by every single person in this room. And so let me go through this. The first one is that humanity's war against God. Now, now hear me. Give me some grace in this because I get it. With, with Jesus, and we're going to talk gospel in a little bit, so don't jump down it. But there is a, a humanity's war against God. In fact, in Romans 5.10, it says that the people of this world are considered enemies of God outside of Jesus. What we learn in, in Colossians 1 is that we've been hostile and evil to the ways of God. We are against Him. Okay. There's this war against God. And here's what I'm not I'm not talking about in our nation today, there's a war against God like we took Jesus out of schools, you can't pray anymore. I'm talking about the heart of man is wicked and against Him. That type of war. And so we battle on, on that front outside of Christ. The second war is a war against cosmic powers. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not war against the prince and principalities of this world, of human flesh, but rather those of supernatural and heavenly realms or cosmic powers, namely Satan and his dominion of darkness. Like There is a reality too. There is a war waging this very second for the live soul of this world. That's being waged in realms and places we cannot see and I don't understand it all but I know the Bible talks about it all the time. That that war wages this very second right now and yet we often just pretend it's not happening. That there's no one out there that isn't actually prowling around like a lion looking to devour some. But that's not truth. I think we can just live in this kind of blissful ignorance as if that Satan doesn't want people to be destroyed. That for some reason, all of a sudden, he wants to see joy, and he wants to see blessing. No, 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 He is against everything that is good. So that war wages right now. Pain, destruction as a result. The third war, I think, is a war that we have against one another, okay? It's a war against humanity based on our desires and our things, um, I'm going to share a few stats here. And if if you parents, there's just some stats on some stuff about death and some things that I'm going to share in our world right now. And so I do want to give you just a quick heads up. If you want to earmuff your kids, if you feel uh, that that's too heavy or something like that, or you want to take them out from it. I totally understand that as well. It's not crazy heavy, but I just want to give that as a caveat. Um, war against each other. Ephesians 3 tells us that that there's been this dividing wall of hostility, man to man, that we no longer see each other as we should because of the brokenness of this world. Because of sin, it is clouded in the way I view my brother and the way I view my sister. I do not view humanity the way I'm supposed to because of the brokenness and fallenness of this world. We also see in, in Genesis chapter 4, right, the very first moment Okay, you have Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens, Adam and Eve and their disobedience are kicked from the Garden of Eden. What is the very first story we get outside of perfection? It's a brother murdering a brother. That the very first chance that man has outside the perfect place of God is to kill one another. There is a war that is waging between people. Some statistics in our world today. Right now, there are currently 61 wars going on across the world. 61 wars. Now, of those wars, there were 160,000 people that were killed in 2017. 140,000 killed in 2018. That was just since October. There's still a couple months to go, so we'll probably eclipse 2017's numbers. And this is not like collateral damage. This is not, well, they died because of starvation after. This is people who were killed and a direct result of these wars existing, over 300,000 people over the last couple years. 61 wars happening. That right now there are 68.5 million people that have been displaced forcefully in our world. Almost 70 million people. People have been forced from their homes, from the places, and, and from their home, from their livelihood, from everything they know, and now they live and exist without anything, except oftentimes what they could carry with them: their family, if they're lucky to get out whole. Seventy million people—that's forty-four thousand four hundred a day—being displaced, one every two seconds. That means by the end of this sermon, there will be 1,200 new people displaced because of the conflicts around this world. Before, like, Get that? like, We're going to be done in 40 minutes, and we'll go off, okay? And in that time, 1,200 people have lost everything. Um, this last one, I do say, please hear me, and I want to say it very gently because it is a significant part of brokenness in our world but I understand at the same time that there are those. I mean, I, I, we have friends here in our church, people I love dearly, people that we know and care for dearly that have had to live this part in their life, live this part of, this story has been in part of their life. Let's say it that way. Um, but I do think it's brokenness, and I think it grieves God and grieves and should grieve us too. And, I, and I'm talking about abortion. And man, it is... It is such a deep and broken thing. And I, I do want to say this, like if that is part of your story, I want, please hear me, you are so loved. You're so welcome to be here and God loves you and sees you through Jesus. But to share some numbers, that I, I just I want us to feel the weight of the brokenness of our world. From 2012 to 2014, Across the world, not, not just America, across the world, there were 168 million abortions. 168 million. Those same three years, just in America, was 2.1 million of that amount. Percentage-wise, significantly lower than developing countries where most of these abortions are happening. But 168 million Over a three-year period. And those are the last years that we have official documents and things like that. Again, there's a war that is waging. Next, there is a uh, war against ourselves. A war within us, you can call it. Galatians 5, all throughout the scripture, you're going to see it. This battle between flesh and spirit. This battle over sin where the Spirit is saying, the Spirit of God is trying to woo you and draw you to himself. But your flesh in this world are saying, "No, no, 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 do what is best over here. Gratify these sinful desires of your flesh. And then the Spirit's like, no, 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 but this and this war wages between the two and exists for us all the time. Paul shares about this in Romans chapter 7 where he says, man, I don't know why I do the things that I'm not supposed to do and the things that I'm supposed to do I don't do. I'm so confused by this reality. Why is this happening? There is a war that is raging within ourselves over our righteousness. In our own church, last year in 2017, we took a survey, this time last year, and then we just asked all sorts of questions, and one of the questions we asked is just we wanted to get an idea how to best minister to people here in our church, and so we asked, well, what type of sins do you struggle with? And it was all anonymous. It wasn't like we're checking in on you, but we wanted to just know, and so I want to share some of those with you. Um, 60% of us shared that we struggle with pride, okay, which... I'm gonna be honest, I think it probably should have been a bit higher, but it's okay. 60% say they struggle with pride. Anger, envy, greed, gossiping, and gluttony were all between 35 and 40%. And again, this is just being like, yeah, that's a problem for me. Okay? Premarital sex, pornography usage, sexual morality was between 20 and 25%, each one of those across the church that at every single level, there was, not, there was only one thing that you could mark down that was less than 15%, and that was drug use, which was at 11%. And so, man, there is a war within ourselves, and it wages back and forth about what is the right thing to do. How do we live in light of the gospel? How do we be obedient to the cross and life of Jesus? And then the last war that I think we all are in right now and maybe not realize it, is a war against a sinful and broken world. So I don't, I don't mean war against sin. In other words, like we might sin. I'm saying that there is a force and an evil force at that that is sin that seems to try and destroy you. That that wants to pull you away from God. That wants to deceive and distort and lie. That brokenness exists in our world. And so we indeed are physically, emotionally, and spiritually broken human beings. Albeit created in the image of God, but broken there within. And so a few things. Mental health in our country is a significant, significant issue. And yet we don't talk about it very much. We don't address it. And we try and pretend it's not really a thing. But let me share some stats with you. Right now, just under 45 million Americans have an AMI, which is any mental illness. So it's lower grade. It doesn't severely impact life. But 45 million U.S. adults, that's just under 20% of the U.S. population. 10.4 million American adults struggle with what's called an SMI, which is a severe mental illness, with something that impacts their life every single day that requires treatment, that oftentimes requires medication and help and things like that. 10.4, so that's just under 5% of the U.S. population. There's this, this lie and this deception, there's this battle, there's this war against sin and brokenness in this world that is destroying people physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The highest prevalence of this is among the Native American community. And I bring that up intentionally to say, man, is that because they were created in a lesser image of God? Certainly not. Should we maybe begin to open up our eyes to say, maybe there's something else that the church and the world needs to take notice of. Maybe there's some trauma. Maybe there's some brokenness that maybe, maybe, maybe we might need to address because maybe, maybe, maybe we're responsible for some of it. These things are are real issues, are real wars that battle in our world that we don't often think about. Think about this. Um, From ages 13 to 18, adolescents 13 to 18 have a lifetime prevalence of just under 50% struggling with an AMI. In our world today, that one in two kids from 13 to 18 will struggle with an AMI, any mental illness between those years of life. 22% have been stated that they will struggle with a significant uh, mental illness between that age range. 13 to 18 years old. The world is broken. Our own church, again, going back to that survey, if we think this is a far off and distant thing, this thing's just happening in our world, our own church, when we did that poll last year, it was just over 30% of people here at Redemption say that they struggle and battle depression daily. 42% said they struggle and battle with anxiety. Right here at our church, this is not some far-off issue or thing. This is a war that is waging amongst our people today. The suicide rates across our country, there was 46,000 deaths by suicide in 2017 on 1.3 million attempts for suicide. That suicide is the second leading cause of death among ages 10 to 14, 15 to 23, and 24 to 34. That from 10 to 14, the second leading cause of death is suicide. There is a war that is waging in our world and we cannot just sit in ignorance of it. We can't just say, well, it's not my problem. Hear me, all of these wars wage in all of our lives all day. Hear me, if you don't struggle with depression, someone you know does. I guarantee it. You might not know it, but I guarantee it. And because we're the church, their battle is your battle. Their trial is your trial. Their success is your success, and their failure is your failure. Like, we are united as one, family. And so this is a war that exists in all this. Now, hear me. Why make the, like, the sermon two days before Christmas the most depressing sermon you've heard all year? Okay? Because Christmas is coming because we're two days before we celebrate the fact that the Prince of Peace has come to this world to handle all of this. That's why we talk about it. Because we can have peace, hear me, that's based on ignorance. And you can just shun everything that's been talked about. You can pretend there's no brokenness in your life or in the world or in your family and friends' lives. Or what you can do is say, no, that's real, but that's why Jesus came. Eh, ooh, that's good. That was, that was, that's right. I forgot to do that. Okay? That's why he's here. If all this stuff was good, why'd he even show up? Hear I me, mean, let's look at some last scriptures and say he's real scripture heavy, because it's just better to hear from him than me. This war against God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus decided to come, because of what we celebrate on Advent, the reason why I long for us all to wake up on Christmas morning and say hallelujah and sprint downstairs is not for presents but to celebrate the coming Jesus is because he has handled this issue. That between man and himself, there was war waged. We were used to be enemies of him, but he, through his peace that was purchased on the cross of Christ and the subsequent resurrection to grant new life, has made peace between God and man. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come. War against cosmic powers, Hebrews 2.14 says that Jesus likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil. Praise you, Jesus, that you came. That you decided to not just stay up in heaven where it was, I mean, I'm imagining it's heaven and he's perfect. It was great but he decided to come into this world full of war and brokenness and pain as a child in a barn among scandal and a king who wanted him dead that he had to flee like a refugee to another nation. Like this is his story. This is the story of God's birth praise you that you come. Why? That he could destroy Satan and his work. That the war between the cosmic powers and us, he would solve. The third one, the war against each other, Ephesians 2, 13 through 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both One, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Praise Jesus that you've come. That the Prince of Peace has arrived because he has torn down the dividing wall between man that no longer do we have a sin-filled view of the other, but rather we have a view of the other that says you are made and created the image of God. He loves you, I love you. We can be one because of what he's done. Praise Jesus that he came. This war against ourselves, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. That anxiety and fear and depression. And, and listen, this is not me. I know can come across as like, hey, it's real trite. Jesus already did it, so it's not a problem anymore. And that's not what I'm saying. Mental illness and, and depression, and they're significant and real issues. And we want to come alongside you in that to see holistic care and healing for you but it can happen. Healing and restoration are possible because the Prince of Peace has come. That the peace of God may rule in our hearts. That no longer the physical, emotional, spiritual brokenness that wants to be conveyed, no, no, no that now there could be new deliverance. That the sin and the war that wages within us that says, no, you need to choose flesh, you no, know, no, he came for that too. He says that you no longer need to be slaves to sin, but now you can be slaves to righteousness. Holy and blameless, where there is no condemnation before God for all those in Christ Jesus. Because the Prince of Peace came. And the last one, this war against a broken creation. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Colossians 1:13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that the sinful, broken world that seeks to destroy, that seeks to draw from God, this force that brings evil upon the world, he has conquered. And then brought us into a new kingdom. The here, Christian. Because of Christ's coming, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, because of faith and trust and belief and repentance in him, that you have been ushered into the kingdom of God. And that is where you have citizenship this morning. Because he came 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate. That's why such a depressing message is because truly in the midst of the depression that there is hope. In the midst of the brokenness, there is hope. In the midst of the fear and the anxiety and the wars that wage around this world and in our own hearts and in, in our own homes and places, that there's hope because he has come. That's pretty good. <laughs> because he's come. Because he's, he decided, like, you know, I'm going to enter into this world and this mess and be with my creation. This is the gospel story. You know, the beautiful, most beautiful thing is when we start thinking through the way and the cost of peace in our world today, we often think offense. Like, how do we achieve peace around the world? Well, by more war. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? We, we tend to kind of, how are we going to achieve peace? Well, more offense. Peace in situations oftentimes, like, well, no, let me be on the, on the front foot in the attack. Let me tell you how you were wrong so then we can have peace, right? That's what an argument is. There's discord and there's brokenness. You have a, a fight with your wife, a fight with your husband. There's discord. There's, there's just things that are broken. So what do you do? Well, let me contend for myself, be on the offense, and prove that you're wrong so that we can have peace. Does that not seem backwards? The most beautiful part of the cross you have to understand is that peace was not purchased by offense but rather through sacrifice. Now, all of this, here's what we want to leave you with. He has come. And because he's not here yet, church, that means there's work to do. Okay, because he's not back yet, right? Even though, listen, so we celebrate and we can live in the peace that can rule our hearts and rule our world because of the gospel. We can stand steadfast. We can stand free in Christ, but we know it's not the fullness of the kingdom yet. We know that there's more goodness to become, that there's more beauty to rain down, that there is a day where every tear will be wiped away and everything that was made wrong will be undone. But we're not there yet. And so, what did God do? He called together a people that would be part of his army. And on behalf of the world, on behalf of the souls, on behalf of the people and the stories and the experiences therein, that there would be a people that would contend for peace all around the world. And so, church, Advent is a season to celebrate, but it's also a season to mobilize. It's a season to look at the gospel and sit in and study and look at Jesus and be in relationship with him and celebrate the amazing work and sing songs and be generous and do all of these things that we do. We gather around a table. But it's a season for us to also say, okay, but he's not here yet, so let's go. Let us be, church, of people then that help people bring peace to their enmity with God. Let us be a people who enter into the brokenness that exists in the war that wages within people's hearts, that have them going to sin that destroys life, that have them going to brokenness and pain that destroy stories and the people around them, and be objects of peace, to be mediators of the grace and the gospel of Jesus. That's the calling of the church. That's what, that's what Advent is. It's not just this fun word we decide to use at the end of every year. It is a moment to celebrate and mobilize as a people that we move into 2019 ready to be those people. Amen? I want to land with just reading this from the end of our Bibles, in, or sorry, in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, because there is a future hope that is coming. There is a day where this all indeed does be made perfect again. Where Jesus, as prophesied throughout Isaiah and throughout the Bible, will reign as king and there will no longer be pain, brokenness, or hurt anymore. So I read from from Revelation 21, some passages, and from Revelation 22, and this is from the Message Bible. It says this, I saw heaven and earth new created. Gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. And I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven, as ready for God as the bride for her husband. And I heard a voice thunder from the throne Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and with women. They're his people, he's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued, look, I'm making everything new. There was no sign of a temple for the Lord God. The sovereign strong and the lamb are the temple. The city doesn't need sun or moon for light. God's glory is its light. The lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk in its light and the earth's, Earth's kings bring in their splendor. Its gates will never be shut by day and there won't be any night. They'll bring the glory and the honor of the nations into the city. And the angel showed me the water of life river, crystal bright. It flowed from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of the street. And the tree of life was planted on each side of the river, producing 12 kinds of fruit, a ripe fruit for every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Never again will anything be cursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb is at the center. His servants will offer God's service, worshiping the look on his face, their foreheads mirroring God. Never again will there be any night or any darkness. No one will need lamplight or sunlight. The shining of God the Master is all the light anyone needs, and they will rule with him age after age. After age. He has come. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you and your coming just means significant things for our world. got I pray for your eyes and for your ears, for, your, for the ability for our hearts and our minds to be able to know and to feel and to process the realities of the world that we are in. God, that then we could be a dependent and hopeful people on you. Jesus, you are so faithful and good. Might the story, the God of the universe decided to move into the neighborhood To live the life we could not live and die the death we deserve to die. Would that story become more purposeful and intentional in our lives than ever before? That we would be a gospel shaped people, that we would celebrate you. And as such, be sent forth, God, to be objects and agents of peace around the world. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts with very specific needs and purposes and callings and ideas and thoughts. And people, God, of which we can carry out this mission. God, bless this season and might our hearts be full of the joy of the Lord because you are here. We long for the day, God, where you will come once and for a final time, God, to restore the world. Until then, Lord, we thank you. We ask that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.